Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Paul said, now that I belong to the Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm that same guy. And I'm going to come with passion. I'm going to come with zeal. I'm going to come with fervor. I'm giving all of me to the Lord. I would challenge the believer that can look at their life. Because I, I listen to testimonies of people. Oh, yeah, I was in the world. I was doing this. And I got my life to the Lord. And I'm like, but you ain't doing nothing. You got saved, and and all you was all passionate over here. You had all kind of fire and and, and, and incitement. That some people's testimony, their old life sounds more exciting than their life in Christ. The apostle Paul never changed the zeal that he had for God. He simply redirected it. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Bill, he encourages you to not lose the excitement and energy you have because of your now faith in Jesus. You don't have to dull down your enthusiasm in fear that others won't receive you. Pastor Bill explains that the Apostle Paul continued to have the same amount of passion, but he had his energy redirected to where it was supposed to be, in Jesus. Keep shining. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Galatians chapter 1 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. The book of Galatians written by the Apostle Paul is written to the churches in the region of Galatia. So it's not a single church in a single city, but it's a, a region of churches that were, this whole region of churches was having the same problem. Paul went, Paul preached the true gospel of Jesus Christ, which I'll, I'll reiterate for us today. And after Paul left, Jewish groups came in and they kind of twisted the message. Uh, false teachers came in behind Paul and they were adding to the gospel. They were saying, you couldn't just believe in Jesus and be saved. That's just too easy. And so here's the true gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ that will save you from your sins, that will guarantee you not going to hell and you going to heaven. We looked at it last week, but I'm going to do it again today for those that missed out. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5. This is the message. This is the message that Paul said. This is the gospel I preach to you. So 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5, Paul says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. It goes on to say he was seen by Peter and over 500 other people saw him in his resurrected form. But the message of the gospel is that the message that we believe for salvation is that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That he was buried and three days later he rose from the grave. Now, the Bible says that the gospel of Jesus Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing. That message sounds simple. It doesn't sound like any other religion. Every other religion is, uh, and, and a definition, one definition for religion is man's attempt to reach God. And most religions you have, some man has to, they got to have something to do. There's something that they're doing to, to reach out to God. Rather, they're, you know, refraining from eating certain things or they do certain things. You know, you got monks in, in remote places of the world. They crawl on their knees. They actually damage their bodies to show their devotion to God. And so most of religion, that's what it tastes like. The group here, the Jews, the Jews are very religious. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, because of the Old Testament, all the, all the shadows, all the things that God gave the Jewish people as a shadow of what Christ was going to be. Well, because they haven't received Christ, they've kept the shadow. They've kept the religion. And so they have garments they got to wear. They got ways that they got to wash. They got times of day that you have to go pray. There are all these things that you have to do to be a good Jew. 
If you go to Jerusalem and you go to the, there's a wall. Anybody seen the wall where everybody prays and they stick prayers in there? And you see there's a depth of devotion, but this is the challenge because there's a depth of devotion, but it's in error. The depth of devotion of a people that have said, we don't receive Jesus as the Messiah. That, that there's, They're still deeply religious. How many of you guys have ever seen a Jehovah's Witness and thought, Man, they really, they really put us to shame the way they out there. Anybody ever seen them? They, you know, they be out there at Winter's Donut. They be in the hood. They be in the, they be in the liquor store in the, the hood, hood, hood liquor store out there. You know, and, you know, one sense we might look at them and say, man, they're really out there. Man, you know, but they're, they're not with the truth, though. You know, that's not going to do anything for them. But can you understand how to them, when they're out there serving like that, they can look at us and say, we're out serving you. So I know we got, I know we're better than you. Where you at? When you witness, when you out there sharing. And while you may feel put to shame and all that, imagine if you had to, if you had to be out there working to hopefully get a place. If we weren't sure we were going to heaven and we had to work really hard to hope that we might get a spot, I guarantee you the, the way we serve would look different, but the motive would also be different. The motive would be I'm serving so that God will accept me. And that's not Christianity. Christianity begins at your relationship with the Lord. Christianity, it begins at the cross. God is the initiator. He loved you when you didn't love him. He died for you. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for you and me and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. So God said, look, when you were unlovely, when you were not thinking about me, when you were in your sins, I loved you so much. I sent my son to die on the cross in your place. Now I cared so much that after he did that, I sent people and I anointed other people with this message and I had them come tell you. I gave you faith to believe it. The, the faith that you have to be able to believe and receive the gospel, even that is given us by God. So you, in order to reject, reject the Lord, you have to reject. You have to go against everything that he's made available. You have to reject him. You have to step over the bloody cross of Jesus Christ to reject the gospel, which God gives you free will and you can do it. And some have. But at the end of the day, when I look at that version of the gospel, it says that he did everything. I've received a wonderful gift. Amen. And so now everything that we do in Christian service, in Christian living, is in response to what God has already done. That's biblical Christianity. We're not earning favor with God because that would eliminate grace. What does grace mean? What is grace? Undeserved, Undeserved favor. Unmerited favor. God said, no, 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 no. You, you don't deserve my love. I've, I've given grace. You're a recipient of grace. I loved you when you were unlovely. Receive that. Don't earn it. Don't work for it. Just receive it. Here's the wonderful thing with that. If God loved you and me when we were our worst and now we're we've been cleaned up by the Holy Ghost, we've been, you know, ministered to through the word and, and we're moving in a better direction. Can there be any doubt now that he, he loves us? God, you love me when I was ta you take a snapshot. Don't look too long at it of, of yourself in your worst spiritual condition. And God says, I, I loved you right there. And you can't ever you can't. Hopefully you ain't worse than that now. You know, hopefully we're all improved upon that. So it's like, God, you love me, period. What it does for the believer, it says, I'm, 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 I am comfortable and I am secure. We are secure in the love of God, right? We haven't, we can't mess it up. He's, he just loves me, period. That's the position God puts the believer in. So that's the position that we serve from, that we live from, secure in the love of our Heavenly Father. Not earning it. That's, it's just, it's very different than religion. It tastes different. So here, and I'm going to say this up front, then we'll jump to the word. Our motive for service, for Christian living, for holy lives is always in response. God, because of what you did for me, I, I you have had this life. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. Amen. Yeah. 
And so Paul is looking to this church in Galatia. He left and he found out in his departure that they've not only heard from these Judaizers, they're actually believing it. And so Paul is coming to correct them. And so he jumps right in. He's, he's trying to correct the error. And so last week he told them, if anybody preaches to you guys another gospel other than the one I preached, Paul said, let them be a curse. And we looked at that in the study last week. The Greek word is anathema. It means damned to hell. Paul said, if anybody comes to you with a gospel other than the one I preach, what we just read in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5, he said, let them be a curse. Reject them wholeheartedly. And so that would be a good word for you and me too. If somebody comes with another gospel, another version of the gospel, a version of the gospel that says you got to believe in Jesus and be baptized. You know, I, I got a friend that thinks I'm almost saved because I was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he's like, dude, would you just come to my church and let them baptize you in the name of Jesus? And then you need to come up out of the water with the evidence of tongues. Then, 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 then I'll know. And I'm like, bro, I'll never get baptized again. But the day I got baptized, the Lord met me, did some things in my life. My baptism was legit, never doing it again. But in his mind, because it wasn't done the way that he was taught, you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. You got to come up with the evidence of speaking in tongues so as to confirm that you're saved. If you don't come up speaking in tongues, you'll tarry in the water. And if you take too long, one of the brothers and sisters from the church will come over and teach you how to do it. Go, go ahead. Say, say, shoulda bought a Honda. Shoulda bought a Honda. Say it faster. Say it faster. There you go. There you go. Keep going. Keep going. There you go. Now get out of the water. You know, y'all laughing, but anybody, has anybody here seen that before? Raise your hand. Okay. They really doing this. This, this morning in churches of America, that's going to happen. So that's not the gospel, right? That, that to have to do all those things to be saved. And when God says, I did everything, I want you to receive it as a gift. So Paul is wanting to correct it. The letter of Galatians is really to help Christians to embrace the grace, the gospel of grace. And then later on in the book, he'll go on to, to express how that should manifest and live its way out of our lives. And so pick up at verse 11 now. Paul speaking, he says, but, but I make known to you, brethren. And I, I just, I guess it's interesting that he still, even though they're receiving this false teaching and they're kind of getting off, Paul still is acknowledging them as brethren. He says, but I want to make, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. So Paul said, the gospel that I preached to you guys, it wasn't, I didn't get it. It's not according to man. Then he says in verse 12, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul said, the gospel that I'm preaching is not according to man. I didn't do it according to what man wants. It didn't come from men. I didn't go get this information from men. Who, who gave Paul the gospel message? Jesus directly. If you go back to Acts 9. Uh, when Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, he encountered Jesus Christ personally. Jesus said, Saul, Saul, you know, why are you, why are you, why are you persecuting me? And they had their encounter. He said, Lord, what would you have me to do? The Lord sent him to Ananias to get prayed for and receive the Holy Spirit and have the scales taken off of his eyes. And then it says Paul went to Arabia and he spent three years in Arabia. And at his own testimony, that's where he was instructed by the Lord. He didn't receive instruction from people. He got it straight from the Lord. This is why that's amazing and awesome and important. Because the other disciples, Peter, James, John, the other, they, they had the three years of earthly ministry with Jesus receiving it from the Lord. They had the encounters after Jesus resurrected where he went and spoke to them directly. And they had received all from Jesus the message. Well, Paul says, I didn't get with them. I was three years in Arabia direct connecting with the Lord. But when Paul got together with the other apostles, guess what? He had the same message. 
The gospel that he got was the same gospel that it wasn't a different message. It didn't vary in any way. This is why that's important. Because today there are so-called apostles at churches around the cities and so forth and so on that want to speak into your life with apostolic authority, but they have none. What does it mean to have apostolic authority? It means that you got what you're giving out straight from the Lord. This was very important in this era because they didn't have a Bible. They, they didn't go to church and say, open up to Galatians. They, it was being written at this time. They had Old Testament. They had the law. They had the prophets. And some of these things were being recorded. They didn't have what we had. And so apostolic authority, when the church began, was critical that we get the message from the Lord. And so God said, I raised up these. I had 12 with me. One was a fraud. I needed him to, you know, give me over Judas Iscariot. He died. I had 11. You know, Paul was the one that God added into the number later on. And these are the ones that got it straight from me. We should be very careful today about a man or woman in some cases that wants to speak into your life with apostolic authority. I'm, I'm speaking to you. You receive my words as God's word. I'm telling you this is how it needs to work today. Myself, any other man, person in the pulpit preaching the word of God, they need to speak to you and you need to judge them by what? Word of God. You need to judge me by the word of God. You need to judge them by the word of God. Ain't nobody got apostolic authority that disagrees with what the apostles already said. Amen. So, you know, apostle Shukamuka down the road, if they open up and say, look, I got a word. I got a revelation last night. God told me he wants you to give me one thousand dollars a piece. You know, I, I hope you all know better. I hope y'all know better. I hope y'all can go and say, you know, go to Peter and says, man, they, they, you know, one of the marks of the false prophet, they make merchandise to the people. I feel like you're making merchandise to me. I'm on my way. I'm going to go somewhere that's going to feed me and teach me the word of God. I hope y'all will know better than that because that's what they want to, what they're doing with their apostolic authority is not bringing people to Jesus. They're taking from people whatever they can get and sending them on down the road and giving them a few empty prophetic words. And when they don't come to pass, they blame it on you saying you didn't have enough faith. You know, you didn't do what you were supposed to do or whatever. So off of that, be careful today with everybody that want to be an apostle and a bishop and a whatever. Paul says, look, when I got my instruction from the Lord, I got it from the Lord and I didn't confer with men. It wasn't according to man, nor did it come from men. But again, I would point out that when he did, when it was checked by the other apostles, it was the same message. It lined up. And so when men speak today, their message needs to line up with the word of God that we have written. Amen. I hope that all of us will be diligent to study for ourselves and challenge, you know, judge what you're hearing from men by what God said so that God can continue to be the Lord of your life. And so verse 12, again, he's for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus revealed it to him directly. Verse 13, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And so. Paul points back to his B.C. days. For anybody that's not familiar, Paul, who used to be called Saul, when he was a non-believer, he was a Jewish, he was a Pharisee, and he was really about that life. He wasn't no run-of-the-mill Pharisee. He wasn't passive about his disagreement with Christianity. Paul was a, attacking Christians. Paul was responsible for the death of Christians. When they stoned Stephen in Acts chapter 7, they laid their coats at the feet of Saul, which meant Saul was consenting to, their, to his death. At Saul's own admission that that's not the only person that he did that to or that he, was, that he consented to the death of. And so I want you to consider a man that believes so strongly what he believed that he was putting people to death for it. Paul said, that's what I used to be. And he's getting ready to compare what he used to be and to what the Lord made him. And to that, I would challenge this because one of the things I see today in the church is... 
someone will come to the Lord and, you know, they'll, they'll have an encounter with God. They'll, they'll profess. I gave my life to the Lord at this point in time, but there's not a real marked change of life. And there can be a couple reasons for that. And I want to say one, you can have a person that lived. I know non-believers that live pretty, you know, decent lives. Anybody know some non-believers? I know non-believers is better than some church folk straight up. So I know some non they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't, they don't, they don't even cuss. They, you know, they pretty much do right. They honest people. There's some non-believers that, you know, somehow they ended up being pretty good moral folk. And so somebody like that gets saved and turn their life over to the Lord. And, you know, it might not be some drastic, like, you know, I was smoking crack three pipes at a time. You know, I was, you know, beating up everybody in the neighborhood. I was a crip and a blood and a, and a whatever, you know, at the same time, you know, whatever. They may not have some drop dead, you know, rock em, rag em testimony like that. But this is what we're looking. This is what we should be looking for. Right. Never mind. Whatever we were before Christ, rather it was horrific or rather it was decent people or whatever. When you met the Lord, is there a marked difference? Because even for someone that wasn't really doing much, when you get saved, God, I, I apprehend your life for a reason. And when I took hold of your life, what, what has God done with you since he took hold of your life? Is it different? Is, it, is the change radical? Could you mark it? Could you mark a calendar and say, man, that date when I met the Lord that day, from that day till now, it's, it's never been the same. Or would you look at your life where there are people that would say, when you got saved, when you get saved, get out of here. You ain't saved. For real? You should show me. Should prove it, you know? There are Christians that there are people that will tell you they're saved and you like, you? For, no. <laughs> yeah, no. No evidence whatsoever. Nothing. I hope that's not y'all. If it is, feel bad about it. You know, do something about that. You know, that, that's that's not a good thing. And it's, it's not, you know, so but for some, it could be that, you know, they were living pretty moral lives. And so it wasn't like, you know, drastic, visible things that change, but maybe God was doing the work inside that begins to show itself outward. For some, there's no visible transformation because there haven't been a real salvation experience. I believe that today, because a lot of churches don't preach the gospel, that a lot of people get into church and they think, oh, I gotta say, I've been going to church my whole life. Do you know you can go to church your whole life and not be saved? And it has, it's quite common. It's quite common that there are people that, no, I've been going to church my whole life. But I know people like that and they'll swear. No, I, I, got, I was saved when I was a little kid, man. I'm positive. But I'm like, bro, I know you. Or I've known you all this time. You definitely wasn't saved. You were living in sin. You were, you were as bad as I was. You, they didn't look at me any conviction about what you were doing. You, you know that it just doesn't work that way. You can't be. We'll see this later in Galatians. I'm glad we're in this book. You can't live a life of habitual rebellion against God and say, but I, but I prayed that prayer when I was a kid. I got baptized when I was 10. Saved. Absolutely not. The Bible says if you practice these things later, I don't have time to go to it, but it lists all these works of the flesh, fornication, adultery, you know, drunkenness, blah, blah, blah. You, you, the list goes on. He said, if you live that as a lifestyle, you're not, you, I, it doesn't matter what you say you pray. I don't care how many times you prayed it. I don't care if you prayed it in English tongues and Swahili. If you live a habitual rebellion to God, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Do we know the Bible says that, you guys? Okay, so I just want to say that because there are people that they're like, no, I, you know, there's no real change, no real transformation. And they would claim they've been a Christian all the time. I want to point it out because it would be wrong of me to know better and not tell you better. You want to be looking for transformation. You want to look for evidence, internal and external evidence that you are born again. Internal evidence. I am convicted about sin. I'm, I don't want to do the same stuff. You know, here's a great internal thing, internal revealer of a work of God. 
The things that you did without challenge as a non-believer, maybe when you weren't saved, maybe you just lied freely and you fornicated and you, whatever you did, when you get saved, is there an internal struggle? Is there something on the inside that says, I don't want to do this? Is it at least a battle? Because one of the signs of spiritual life is that there's a battle, that I battle with things that I used to just do. When I wasn't saved, I didn't battle with telling a lie. I just told it. Straight face. I told it good, too. You know, you get saved and it's like, you nah, you just don't don't say that. Because if you say that, you got just there are times you start thinking all the way through, like, I'm just saying nothing. Plead the fifth. My wife calls and we're talking on the phone. Hey, baby, did you, did you, did you do the what's the name yet? And then she, she'll confirm this right now. I don't want to lie and say I did it when I didn't do it. Right. Because I know I'm, I'd be convicted about that. So I do something. This may be wrong, too. But <laughs> I'll say, what you tell? Huh? Huh? Wait a minute, hold on, hold on. Uh, I, I try to get away from it real quick. Babe, you heard me, you know. But at least I don't lie, you know. I just, I'm trying to get away from it. That's enough for her to know I probably didn't do it. So is there evidence in your life that you can see? Internal evidence. And then can people vouch? Paul, later at the end of the chapter, he's going to say the church haven't seen what God did in my life. They were glorifying God in me. Are there people that can look at you and say, man, God is really, I, I see evidence of God at work. You, you want that to be the case. That should be something that people could look at and say, no, we see. We see over time, we can definitely see that God has apprehended a life. You can't miss it. When God apprehends a life, it's just visible. You could see it. You could see that that person is given over to the Lord. You can see a person is given over to the Lord just like you can see a person is given over to something else. If somebody you know is given over to crack cocaine, you may never see them smoke crack, but you can look at them and say, they're still given over to it. All the, all the signs, the, the begging for money, the never having nothing, the way you look right now, the behavior, everything says that you're still giving over to that. And when someone is given over to the Lord Jesus, you can see it. You can see it in their life, in their behavior, what they choose to do, how they're living, the, the, the choices that they're making day by day, that person's given over to the Lord. My exhortation to us is that we would, that would be our lives, that, we would, that our lives would look like lives that are given over to Jesus because he gave everything over for you and me. Amen. And so now he says in verse 13, it says, where you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism. Again, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and I tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Now he says a lot here. First of all, Paul says, look, I advanced in Judaism. I wasn't no slacker as a Jew. You know, I was about it. I was, I exceeded, you know, I, I went, I went way beyond many of my contemporaries, people in my own nation. He says, I was exceedingly zealous. I always have a problem with somebody who was, you know, without the Lord, you know, they were just into something, you know, they were given over and then they get saved. And they get all safe and careful. Paul said, look, when I was over here for Judaism, I was exceedingly zealous. And I would be disappointed in Paul if he came to Christ and, and got passive and safe. Paul didn't do that. Paul said, now that I belong to the Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm that same guy. And I'm going to come with passion. I'm going to come with zeal. I'm going to come with fervor. I'm giving all of me to the Lord. I would challenge the believer that can look at their life. Because I'll, I'll listen to testimonies of people. Oh, yeah, I was in the world. I was doing this. And I got my life to the Lord. And I'm like, but you ain't doing nothing. You got saved. And, and all you were all passionate over here. 
you had all kind of fire and, 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 and incitement. That Some people's testimony, their old life sounds more exciting than their life in Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. These words are so familiar now that one can breeze right past them without a thought. We can even sing the words out loudly and never think about what it means. But take a moment and put yourself in the Galatians' shoes. They've seen crucifixion before. They've probably hurried past, trying not to look at the unfortunate people sentenced to die, such a gruesome death. When people told them Christ was crucified, they knew exactly what that meant, what that looked like and sounded like. So when Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ, those words would have been shocking it paints a picture. The old me has been so violently eradicated that I cannot even think of going back. All I have now is Christ, and He lives in me. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood, where we meet every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m. We're also here on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We'd be delighted to have you join us in person, but if you can't, we continue to stream on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook Live. You can find all the information you need at CalvaryInglewood.org. Once again, that's CalvaryInglewood.org. While you're there, you can find and download our mobile app. We're out of time for today, but we'll see you right here next time for a transforming word.